Good morning, everybody. You guys doing okay? Good. This morning, we're going to be uh, we're going to be studying out of the book of First Corinthians. So, if you have your Bible, turn to First Corinthians chapter fifteen. We've been walking through some popular passages, and that's the graphic that you're seeing. But this isn't necessarily a popular passage. This is just one that that has been on my heart. Um, so as I've been reading in my quiet time, in my personal devotion time, this passage just stuck out to me like something that we needed to hear this morning. And so today what we're going we're gonna to look at the reality of the resurrection and how we got to be ready for it. We got to be ready for it. Um, and so we're going to start by looking at the theological implications of the resurrection. All right, so we're going we're gonna to look at some theological implications of the resurrection. Next, we're going to look at the resurrection body given uh, th- that we get upon resurrection. And then finally, we're going to see how the resurrection um, and new body all hinge on being born of the Spirit. Okay, so those are our three points for study. So the first thing we're going to look at is a theological defense of the resurrection. So before we jump in, and let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us because uh, I don't have anything good to share with you today. But man, prayerfully, the Lord has something for us corporately. So let's pray and, and we'll jump in. Lord, we come before you this morning. Thank you so much for your word. God, because man, because of your book, we have something to hear today. Lord, uh, I pray that we would be, uh, man, that we as we hear your word, that we would be receptive to it, Lord, uh, that, that we would uh, align our feet with it, Lord, so that we would walk down the path that you're calling us to. And Lord, I pray that, uh, man, that, that you would just speak to us, speak on our, man, speak on my behalf, God, so that, so that we could uh, be moved to change, Lord, moved to, to, to live out what you're calling us to. God, we love you, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so, so we're going to start our study by looking at the, the theological implications of the re- resurrection. And, and this is going to be evidenced by four truths that the resurrection provides. So if you have your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 12. We're going to start in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some, uh, some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And so to give you kind of some context to what's going on here in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, there, Paul write, wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, and he answered a lot of their questions. Okay, They had a lot of crazy stuff going on. But by the time you get to chapter 15, there's, there's a lot of conjecture and rumor that there is no resurrection. There was no resurrection and there is no resurrection. And so Paul is answering these questions. Okay, so if you could imagine during this time they didn't have the internet. They didn't have the ability to just FaceTime one another to ask, ask the questions, right? So they, they used the old snail mail, okay? And so Paul is returning their letter with, with a response uh, to their questions. And so we're going to pick up in, in the middle of Paul giving a response to their question. 
So that's the context of what's going on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so he says, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. So the first truth that we're going to look at is if there is no resurrection, then our faith is vain. Our faith is vain. Because if there is no resurrection, then, then our God is still dead. Right? Christ is nothing more than a symbol that is still hanging on the cross. You know, it really, it, it kind of bothers me whenever I see, uh, I see these, you know, these crucifixes where, where Jesus is still on the cross. Because the God that I worship, man, he, 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 he was put in a tomb and he rose again. Right? He's not dead, he's alive. And so if Christ did not resurrect, then, he's, then our God is dead. And if Christ is still dead, then we have no gospel to preach. There is no good news if Christ is dead. Because Jesus did not overcome the grave, then, that, then there is no good news, right? So Paul is telling them, if, if Christ didn't overcome the grave, if there is no resurrection, then, then, then we're believing this in vain. If we have no good news, then our faith is in vain. And so the second truth of the resurrection is if there is no resurrection, we cannot trust the apostles. So we're kind of going to breeze through these theological implications, and then we're going to camp out when we get to verse 45. It says in verse 15, Yea, and we have found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised up not, if so be that the dead did not raise. And so if Christ did not resurrect, then Paul's saying the apostles are untrustworthy. The apostles are found untrustworthy because the apostles, uh, they, they wrote the word of God, right? And so if, if we can't trust the apostles, because the, the, the objective of the apostles was that they were the eyewitnesses of Jesus' death. They were the eyewitnesses of his life, of his ministry, and of his death. And the Bible tells us that Paul is a, uh, that he's an apostle uh, out of due time, right? And that Paul, Paul he's, he's the exception. He's the only one that wasn't there during, during Jesus' earthly ministry, but he did see the resurrected Christ uh, in Acts chapter 9, okay? And so God used these apostles to write a lot of the New Testament, and so if we can't trust the, the witness of the apostles, because the, the apostles would tell us that Christ did die and that he did raise again, then we can't trust the book. And if we can't trust the book, then we're in trouble. Right? And so the third truth of the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, this is devastating. We remain dead in our sins. Verse 16, it says, For if the dead rise not, then is, Christ, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then uh, they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And so if Jesus did not defeat death, then we are still dead in our sins. There's no opportunity for salvation. And this, is, uh, this, is this would be tragic. If Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, then I would have no hope 
for salvation. Romans 6.23 tells us this, for the wages of sin is death, right? Death is the wage that must be paid for my sin. So something had to die. Somebody had to die for my sin. And Jesus, he, he was the one that died in my place. He, he received the wages for my sin on that cross, right? I was the one that sinned, but Jesus was the one that received the wages of it. And so here's how it worked in Hebrews chapter 2. Here's how this all worked. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. So we're talking about Jesus here. And he's talking about how, how uh, humans, right? We are partakers of flesh and blood. Jesus Christ also likewise took part of the same and that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Okay, so Jesus, what, what that verse is telling us is that Jesus took on flesh and blood so that he could die and then he could defeat death in the process of the resurrection. Does that make sense? The, the only way that death could be defeated is for him to die and overcome death. Okay, verse 15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So Jesus' objective with his death and resurrection was to deliver us from the bondage, that, that this fear of death, right? So now, no longer do I fear death because I know where I'm headed. And I'm not living in bondage. The, the greatest fear of man is, is what's after, what comes next. That's the, that's the fear of, of, of the century, right? And so Jesus, with his resurrection, he gives us the ability to be free from the bondage of this fear of death. Because I know where I'm headed when I die. Verse 16, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. This is the, this is the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ. Is Man, he, he's God, right? He could have done whatever he wanted to deliver us from our sin. He could have just snapped his fingers. Or, you know, he could have done whatever he wanted. But what he chose to do was he chose to become like you and me. He took on the seed of Abraham. That means that he, he became a man, a human being. He was the God-man. He took on the seed of Abraham as opposed to coming down as the supernatural being like an angel. He came down in corruptible flesh. Why did he do that? Verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He wanted to be just like us. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, right? The God of the Bible, he came down in the form of, of, of human beings so that he could relate to us. Did you know that Jesus lost a friend just like you have? Did you know that he lost loved ones? Did you know that he, he scuffed his knee? when? He, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us this. I'm implying some things, right? But Jesus has gone through what you've been through because he was a human at one time. We have a merciful and faithful high priest, this, this, this is the God of the Bible. He became a man so that he could relate to mankind. And not only that, so that he could, he could defeat death by overcoming it. There's not a soul on this planet that can overcome death. And so God did the unthinkable. He became a human being. He became a man so that he could die the death that we deserved, but then he defeated that death. That's the, that's the wonderful thing about Christ. 
And when he defeated death, that gave us victory over our sin. We'll read about that here in just a little bit. But just imagine for a second that we were still dead in our sin. Man, we would have no hope. And so uh, that's the third truth. The third truth of the resurrection is that we would remain dead in our sins if Jesus didn't resurrect. But the fourth truth is that if there is no resurrection, man, we're without hope. We are without hope. Verse 19 says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we are of all men most miserable. Man, if we are only looking for Christ, um, if we're only looking to Christ for this life, then we're living a miserable existence. Because here's the, here's the fact. We're not living for this life. We're living for eternity. The Lord tells us to, 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 to live life. This is a, a quote that uh, it's not in the Bible, but man, it sure seems, it, it's, a, it's a very, it's like a, a, a quote that I, I, I don't know, like if I, if I were to have a tattoo, it'd probably be a tattoo I'd have, right? Live life with eternity in view. Because we're not living for, we're not, I'm not living for this, this earth, this, this flesh, right? I'm not living for this domain. I'm living for eternity, and if, if the only thing that we have to, we, we put our hope in is a dead God, man, then our eternity isn't sure. And so here, let me, let me summarize this section for us. Because if there is no resurrection, then our faith is in vain. We cannot trust the testimony of the apostles, and in particular, the word of God. So our faith is in vain. Our Bible is untrustworthy. We're dead in our sins, and we're without hope. Life is nothing more than what meets the eye. And so here's the question. If this is the case, why not just burn the candle at both ends? Why not just do whatever you want? Because there's no point or meaning to life if Jesus did not resurrect. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. It says, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me? If the dead rise not, let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. He's like, what is the point of me striving? What is the point of me going after, following the Lord with my life and giving everything I've got if there is no resurrection? Because if there is no resurrection, let's just, man, life's a party. Let's just do whatever we want. If Jesus did not resurrect, why not just make life a party? Because that's the only thing going for us in this life. This is the reality that the world is living in today. This may be the very reality that you're currently living in. You don't see the point in life, and so you're just living, life's a party. Christianity is vain. The, the word of God is, is not trustworthy. Uh, the, the, the remaining, uh, those that remain dead in our, and we would remain dead in our sins, and our life would be without hope. So who could blame you if you, if you choose to live life in this fashion? If Christ didn't resurrect, this is the reality of life without Christ. I mean, if there is if there is no resurrection, if we didn't believe in that, life would have no meaning. And so Paul's making the case that if there is no resurrection, life is meaningless. Just eat, drink, live it up, because tomorrow you're gonna die. There's no point to it. Man, that would be that would be a helpless existence. And that's the, that is the, the current state of this world today. 
man. That, that's the, that's when you when you talk to when you talk to young people, man. The, 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 that's what they believe. There's no there's no point to any of this. So why not just you know sex, drug, rock and roll? Why not just do whatever I want? Right. Life's life's a party if there's no Christ. But fortunately for us, there was a resurrection. There was a resurrection. This nullifies the above statements. Look in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 tells us, But now in Christ, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. So Jesus did die, and he did resurrect, and he is the firstfruits, meaning he was the first one to resurrect of those that sleep. So everyone that has died in Christ, meaning that they trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they will resurrect with Christ one day, and, and they will be in heaven with him forever. Right? There is a resurrection of the dead, and he's the first fruits of that. And so because of Jesus' resurrection, for those that have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection, we too are resurrected. We are made spiritually alive in Christ and partakers in this. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3. And so Romans, man, uh, one, of the, one of the greatest books in your New Testament. If, if you could only have one book to study the rest of your life as a New Testament believer, man, Romans would be a good place to start. Because that's, it's, we, we, whenever we preach through it, we called it the Constitution of Christianity. It's like the most synthesized version of, of, the, of Christian doctrine. Paul basically took everything that he knew in regards to, to the Lord and, what, and, and the teachings uh, of Christ, and he wrote the book of Romans uh, as kind of his, his, his final piece of work, right? And so when you, whenever you get to Romans chapter 6, he's talking about the resurrection of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and what that means for us. And he says in verse uh, 3, he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto de- into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So he's, he's talking about the death and the burial and the resurrection. And, and when Jesus was, was, whenever he rose again, that gives us the ability to walk in newness of life, live the resurrected life. Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. So if we have, if we've died to ourselves, if we died, if the old man was put to death and planted in the ground with Christ, we also shall be um, in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him and that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, if we are dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died into sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. 
And so this, this whole, this is like a theological expose on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what he's getting at is that when Jesus took, whenever Jesus was dying on the cross and when he was buried and when he rose again, that's a picture for us. That's what, that literally happened. But what that symbolizes for us today is whenever he was nailed to that cross, he took your sin upon himself. And so that sin was nailed to the cross. It was put, the old man was put to death. That's the symbology there, is that you are put to death on that cross. So Mason is put to death. Whenever, and then whenever he was buried, that, that old man, that sin, that flesh, was buried in the, in the tomb, left for dead. And whenever he resurrected, man, he didn't stay dead. He, he was brought, he was made new. Newness of life. And that gives us the opportunity to know God personally and to live a life that in victory over our flesh, over our sin, if we so choose to walk in the Spirit, if we so choose to follow the Lord with our lives. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And so it was imperative that Jesus were to take our sin upon himself and that he were to, to be buried in that tomb because he put our sin to death, giving us the ability to be freed from it. And so Jesus, Jesus did resurrect, therefore our faith is not in vain. Because of the resurrection, our faith is not vain. Because of the resurrection, we can trust the testimony of the word of God. We can trust the apostles, man. We can, tr- we can take their word and, and believe it. We can take God's word and we can, we can build our life upon it. Because Jesus did resurrect, we are freed from our sin. And we do have hope. If you've, put your, if you've put your life in the hands of Jesus Christ and you've trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, all of these are true today about you. Your faith isn't in vain. You can trust the, the, the testimony of the book. And you're freed from your sin and you, you can have hope in your eternal destiny. So those are the theological implications of the resurrection. Now let's look at the resurrection body, the the body that we get. Because as a result of the resurrection, we're going to get a new body, a resurrected body, one that's like Christ's. Paul is going to use a few analogies to help us understand this resurrection body. And the first example that he's going to use is is exemplified in a seed. You know, I could... um, there's a lot of us in here that are into to the gardening stuff, right? We love to garden, and here in a few months, uh, we're, we're probably going to have this big party where we, uh, where, where we, you know, plant our seeds. And last year we did it, and it was, it was a blast. Um, but this this example is is for you if you're into gardening, right? This is uh, verse 35 tells us this. But some man will say, "How are the dead raised up?" And with what body do they come? Verse 36, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. So if you're going to sow a seed, like you've got to understand a seed is dead. Verse 37, And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that, that shall be, but bare grain as it may chance of wheat or some other grain. But God giveth it a body that hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. So if you, if you look at the example of a seed, a seed is a de- it's dead. Okay? It took something that was alive, it produces a seed. You take that seed and you plant it. 
And that which thou sowest, verse 37, thou sowest not that body that shall be. So you're not sowing something in its final form. You're sowing something and it's going gonna, it's gonna to bear fruit that's completely different, right? And so when, we, when, when we're sowing seed, that seed is dead and that seed brings something completely new out of it, something completely different from the seed itself. And so as an example, if you were to plant an apple seed, does an apple look like an apple seed? No, it's something completely new. It's something completely different. Something that, that was dead brings life. Okay, so that's the first example. So the glorified body, the new, this new body is going to be something completely different than the, than the current body that we have. It, this current body has to be put to death in order to be brought new, to be made new. As exemplified, uh, the next example is, is exemplified in the diversity of bodies. Verse 39, it says, All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are many different types of bodies, right? Mankind has a particular meat shell, right? Animals have different, we all have different bodies. And so he's using this example of the different bodies and how there are, God has different purposes with bodies, right? And it's exemplified in the planets in verse 40. Sorry, I know this is kind of, Strange, but we're, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture so that we can get to where we want to be. So look in verse 40. It says, There are also celestial bodies, right? Those are the heavenly bodies, and bodies terrestrial. So we're talking about the planets here. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. And so let's look at the final explanation of this in verse 42. It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. So he, he was giving us some examples, and now he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Our bodies are corrupt. Hello, old age, man. My body, the older I get, the more my body reminds me that, that it's corrupt. It's not, it's not evolving to any place fast. It's devolving at a rapid pace, right? So, um, so also in the, is, is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown corruption. So our bodies are, are corrupt, but it is raised in corruption. So this glorified body, this new body that we're going to get after we die or, or, or if the Lord returns first, this new body that we're going to get is going to be, it's going to be perfect, I'm not going to have back pain anymore. I'm not going to have, my Achilles isn't going to hurt. Like all of the issues that I have in this current body, this corrupt body, man, they're going to be done away with. Praise the Lord. Verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It has raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so Paul's trying to, to teach us that the resurrection body is, is completely different than the body that we have today. And that if we've trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we're going to get a new body, a glorified body like Christ. 
And I can't wait for that day. And so you may be asking, well, what do I have to do to get this resurrected body, this, this glorified body? And, and man, you must be born again. This is, the, this, is, this is the meat and potatoes of the sermon today. I wanted to say all of that set up to get us to this point. You must be born again. Verse 45 tells us this. It says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earth, earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And so, Paul, or, yeah, Paul uses this example of the first Adam and the second Adam, right? The, the, the first Adam and the last Adam. And so, that, I think maybe we should, we should look at Adam. Right? Anytime God references something in the Bible, anytime he references a character in the Bible or he references a story, man, it's a good idea, Bible study principle, it's a good idea for you to go back and check that character or read that story, right? So God made Adam a living soul, and he became the father of humanity. Genesis 2.7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Right? Verse 45 says, As it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. And so this is where, this is where we read about how God made Adam a living soul. So in that day, God made man perfect. We can read about, uh, about how in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, uh, they tell us that, that man was made in the image and likeness of God. And if you fast forward a few chapters, this whole thing comes crashing down. Man loses the image and nature and likeness of God. And as a result of their sin, man, they, they, they become, the living soul dies. And so there's a problem here. Okay, man was made a living soul, but, that, but then uh, our sin stepped in. We, we sinned and, and it messed the whole thing up. And so from this point forward, no longer is Adam going to reproduce sons of God. He's going to reproduce after his kind, that being sinful man. And so as a result today, we're still affected by this sin issue. Because of Adam's sin, you are a sinner. You can't help it. I'm a sinner. Because of Adam, my little Millie, right, she's one year old, she, she's a sinner. Man, as, as precious and as sweet as she is, Everyone's born into sin. No one's exempt from it. Every single human being ever born on this planet was born into sin. Except for one. The only one that doesn't have a, that, that, that is born of the Spirit. That's the last Adam, right? It was inher we inherited our sin nature from Adam. 
And I want to show you this in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. It talks about the lineage of Adam. And it talks about how um, God, he was made in the image and likeness of God. But then in verse 3, it talks about how his son is made in his image. So let's read this story. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. So these, these beings, Adam and Eve, they were created in the image and likeness of God, but then they sinned and they lost it. Verse 3 tells us this. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And so the result... Uh, the result being that we were all born of this corruption. The same, we, we come from Adam, man. The fallen, we come from a fallen man, and we have, we have sin as a result of that. We're born into it. Um, and look at Romans 5, 13, 12. It tells us this, exactly what I'm saying. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that would be Adam, and death by sin, the wage of sin is death, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So because of Adam's sin, you and I, we're, 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 the, we're the fruit of that. We're sinners. And we're, and we're all destined to die. Our spirit is dead and we need somebody to do something about it. Okay, so the key point that I want you to get from this whole, this whole sermon is that God cannot use the first birth. God cannot use the first birth. And this is evidenced by the fall of Adam. God cannot use the first birth to accomplish his plan in mankind. And throughout scripture, God curiously chooses to use the second born. Let's look at Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel, uh, this is a really familiar passage to a lot of us. We know, we know how it went down. Cain is the oldest. He kills his brother Abel. Let's read about them. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 4. It says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. So who's the firstborn? It's Cain. And, after, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Verse 2, And she again bare his brother Abel, the secondborn, the, last, the lastborn. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and offered unto the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had, no, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou... Uh, doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall he, uh, be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And so God was pleased with the offering made in faith by Abel, the secondborn. You say, well, you know, why would God be why why would God be pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but not with Cain's? And, and if you compare Scripture with Scripture, what you're going to find is that according to Hebrews chapter eleven, verse four, 
Abel offered his sacrifice in faith. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testified his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. He was not pleased with the offering submitted in the flesh by Cain, the firstborn. So Cain goes out of his way to try really hard to get God's approval. But Abel offered, he offered a sacrifice in faith, and it was pleasing unto the Lord. God's always using the second, there, there's something about the second birth. Let's look at Ishmael and Isaac. Fast forward a little bit. God gives uh, this man named Abram a promise that he was going to give him a son. You may know Abram. And through that, uh, through his son, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. So God gives Abram this promise. And if you fast forward 10 years, Abram is now 85 years old. Right? He's a, he's a pretty old dude. Still has no kids. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to be like Cain. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. And so he's getting, he's getting too old to have a kid. So he's like, man, I've got to just... He's a, he's a typical American. He's got, he's got to pull himself up by his bootstraps and he's going to make God's plan come to pass. He's going to do it himself. Um, it's now or never. So Genesis chapter 16, we're going to get this story. Now, this is what happens whenever you take matters into your own hands, when you, when you do things in the flesh. Now, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go, uh, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain her, uh, children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah, Sarai. Okay, so Sarah, is prob she's, uh, she's probably about uh, 75 at this point. I believe they're 10 years apart. And she's like, hey, yeah, this isn't going to happen. We need to, we need to figure this one out. We, I need you to go in unto my handmaid, Hagar. Um, verse 3, And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, uh, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised, in her eyes. And so Sarah has this wonderful plan. Hey, why don't you have Hagar? Why don't you just have a baby with her? That way we can do what God told us to do. We, we, can, we can get this done. And then she begins to despise Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. Now she's blaming it on him, right? He should have stood up and, and, and did what was right, but his wife was offering him another woman and he, and he just couldn't turn it down apparently. I've given my maid unto thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt harsh, uh, hardly with her, she fled from her face. And so Sarai and Abram are, are tired of waiting on the provision of God and the provision of the Lord, and so they try and make it happen themselves. Instead of walking by faith and believing God at his word, they choose to operate in the flesh. They take matters into their own hands. And so after this fiasco, 
Right? That's where we get a guy named Ishmael. Ishmael is, uh, is also promised to be a great, a great nation to come out of him. I would encourage you to study that out. It's very interesting. But after that fiasco, Abraham becomes, or Abram becomes Abraham. That's probably the more familiar name that you'd be more familiar with. And Sarai becomes Sarah. So God changes their names. He gives them a new identity, one that can trust in the Lord. And, and um, they recomm- he recommits his promise to them regarding a son. He says, that promise I told you is still valid. I'm going to give you the son of promise. And they finally decide to operate in faith. And at the ripe old age of 190, they birth Isaac. Man, that's crazy. I'm like in my early 30s, and I, I can't imagine birthing another child at this age. It would, it would wear me out if I were 100 years old. And so what's interesting about this, you may, may or may not know this, but this is a whole 25 years after the original promise. And, and to all the Americans in the room, our mind is blown. 25 years. Man, if someone promises me something, I'm like, I want it now, man. Like, th- th- this, is, this is the land of promise. Like, I, if God tells me something, I want it now. But God's timing is the right timing. It's just when we need it, not when we want it. And so whenever we try to make things happen in and of ourselves, instead of walking by faith, man, we create issues in our lives, just, like, just as Abram did. Verse 20, uh, chapter 21 of Genesis, verse 1. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Man, I love it. As he had said. God, told, God, God does what he says. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a, a son in his old age at the, time, the set time of which God had spoken of him or to him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And so Isaac, the second born, is the son uh, that is born of faith. And through his lineage, we eventually get Jesus Christ through the lineage of of, uh, Isaac. So let's read about this in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 8, how do we know that Isaac was born of faith? Because the Bible tells us. And by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive of an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him, with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. She'd already went through menopause and she still has a baby because God said it and he delivered. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, spring uh, there even of one in him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky in, in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. And so God chose to use the lineage of the second born to accomplish his plan and purpose. And that was the one that originated in faith. It was, the, it was, it was not the physical, it was the spiritual. All right, let's look at Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. 
I'm telling you, you can just go through Genesis and look at the second born, see what God's doing. Isaac has two sons. So Jacob or Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has two sons. He has twins, the oldest being Esau and the youngest being Jacob. Genesis 25, 24. And when her days to, to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over and hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took a hold on Esau's heel. heel. Sorry, that's my Texas coming out there. His heel. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And so as the story develops, Jacob gets the blessing from his father Isaac. Now there's a lot more to that story, but what we need to see is that what we need to understand is that Jacob got the blessing that was meant for the firstborn. And so again, God chooses to use the lineage of the secondborn to accomplish his plan and purpose. And what, what you'll find with Jacob is that he later gets renamed as well. Just like Abram became Abraham and Sarai became, becomes Sarah, Jacob wrestles with God and he gets the name Israel. Okay? Sound familiar, right? He's the father uh, he, he's he's the he's the first, the man Israel that has the the twelve sons, and so why this is the question we have to ask ourselves: Why would God use the second birth? The inheritance is always passed down through the first, right? Not in God's economy. He's painting a beautiful picture for us, because God is the master of the foreshadow. Man, I, I love a good book that has, that, that, that's painting pictures, that's foreshadowed, that's telling us what's coming. And God is the best at it. And so here's, I mean, are you noticing the theme? God cannot use that which is fleshly. It is, it is only that which is by faith that he can use, that which is spiritual. And so let's look at this final, let's wrap it up with Jesus, with, eight, with Adam and Jesus. The first Adam and the last Adam. The first son of God and the final and the son of God. Right? Let's look at the two sons of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 45. We already read it, but let's read it again. And so it is written: The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. That's funny because that word Adam literally means man. So it says the, the first man, man. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. So, he, so through Adam, we become human beings. That's how we get the physical seed that we, we become humans, right? The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. And through Jesus Christ, we have the ability to be made alive spiritually. So we get our flesh, our spirit, like our, our human nature from Adam. We get our spiritual nature from Jesus Christ. How be it? That was not first, which was spiritual, but that which is natural. So in order for you to become, uh, like, you can't get saved before you're born. Does that make sense? That which is spiritual did not come first, but that which is natural. So your, your physical birth came before you were spiritually born or reborn, and afterward that which is spiritual. Verse 30, 47, the first man is of the earth, earthy. He's of the flesh. He's earthly. He's of the earth. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. That's us, right? Human beings, we're of the earth, we're earthy. 
And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And so if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've, if you've called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, this is you, you are of the heavenly as well. You're of the earthly because of Adam, and you're of the heavenly because of Jesus Christ. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is for those that, only for those that have been spiritually reborn. It's not a, the, the kingdom of God is, is within you, the Bible tells us. Now, we're not studying the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, but that's interesting. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And so Adam, he's a man, he's natural, he's earthy. Jesus, he's God, he's spiritual, he's heavenly. That's what the Bible's telling us. And Adam, the firstborn of God, he failed. He was, he was given over to his flesh, and God could not use him to accomplish the original plan because, because of his flesh, because he did not operate in faith. He was not operating on spiritual terms. Jesus, on the other hand, the last Adam, did that which the firstborn could not do. This is perfectly explained for us in John chapter 3. Jesus is he's making a splash on the scene, and this Jewish Pharisee named Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus. He says, there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, of a truth of a truth, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again. And so Nicodemus, is, he's, he's curious. He says, he saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Like, how, how is this going to happen? I mean, I'm no biologist, but, I, but like I know, like I understand the human anatomy, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not going back in my mother's womb. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water, born of water, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, is he talking baptism there? Let's look at the context. Is he talking baptism? You've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit? Uh, I would say no, because what, what was he just talking about? He was talking about a physical birth. What happens whenever you have a baby? I mean, we're not going to, I'm not going into to class about this, but the water breaks and then the baby comes. You understand that every single one of us was born of the water. Does that make sense? That's the physical birth. Except the man be born of, the wa born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So you've got to be born physically, and you've got to be born spiritually in order to enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, the only way for you to be a son of God, for you to enter into the kingdom of God, is for you to be, born, uh, to, to be born again, to be born spiritually. And the only way to be born spiritually is to trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation. 
That is the only hope that we have. Salvation is only available to those that have been born again. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. And this is where we're going to end. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. 21. For, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. You see, because... Uh, because of Adam, for since by man came death, by man Jesus, came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall uh, have put, on, uh, put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So in, so in Christ, death has been defeated. And in Christ, we can have life both today and for all of eternity. And so my question for you today is, have you been born again? Have you been born again? I know every one of you in here has been born of the water, but have you been born of the Spirit? Because if you want to have hope, if you want to have a faith that is not in vain, if you want to to have life in Christ, it can only come through the spiritual rebirth. And the Bible is very simple. In order to be saved, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you need spiritual rebirth today, all you got to do is ask the Lord. And if you need to talk to somebody about being born again, man, I would love to talk to you after the service. Kathy would love to talk to you after service. David in the back would love to, any of us would love to talk to you about how you could be born again, how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because God cannot use your first birth can't do it but he does want to use you so he gave you the opportunity to have a second one man praise the lord for second chances because without that second birth i i would be i would be a mess i don't know where i'd be in life to be quite honest with you have you trusted in the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ for your salvation lord we love you we come before you today God, we thank you for the opportunity to have a second chance, man. You give us the ability to be born again. Man, may we take advantage of that opportunity. It's a gift that has been given to us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I don't have to do a single thing to receive the free gift that you've given me other than believe it and receive it. So Lord, I pray that today, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would understand that you can't use them in their current state, but you do want to. And so you've extended your grace to them in your son, Jesus Christ. And so today, Lord, I pray that they would not leave this building until they have been born again. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for that opportunity. And God, I pray that, that we would be a light in this community as we, uh, man, as we interact with, with our neighbors this week, as we interact with our coworkers this week, as we interact with our families. 
God, that we would be the light of the world and that we would share with, with others, man, how, how you can't use the first birth, but man, you'd, you would love to use them, uh, the second birth, God. We love you. We're grateful for you. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.